0: Let's pray, um, Father. What a great truth that we just sang, Lord, to praise you. Because even though our sins are many, uh, your mercy is more. And I thank you, God, that um, in this life of direction, God, that we are um, we are seeking perfection, that. Um, that you continue to be merciful towards us; that your mercies are true, uh, are, are true every day. And we praise you for that. And God, I thank you for this um, this five week sermon series. God, I thank you just um, how you've ministered to my heart um, through this poem of confidence in you. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we bring this to a closure today, God, that Maybe there's some of us here that that have memorized this as uh, small children uh, that uh, believe it intellectually. Uh, but when the rubber hits the road, God, we are still believing the lies of the enemy. And uh, we are still um, walking in our own path rather than paths of righteousness. And I just pray, God, that you would just bring um, just... Bring your word to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit to uh, really encourage us, to remind us that, um, that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, and that you are the good shepherd, and we shall not need. We love you. I ask that you'd have your way with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Well, yes, we're, we're finishing up um, Psalm 23. Our fifth sermon will be focusing on verses 5 and 6 today. And um, as we, <clears throat> this psalm is really a, a poem of confidence in the Lord, uh, the one who was, the one who is, the one who will forever be. And as I've been thinking about this and uh, listening to last week's sermon and thinking about the past sermons, just asking the question, do I believe this? Does, does my life, I can tell you I believe this, but if you were to observe my life, do I live in a way that, is, that indicates that I believe this? There are many thoughts that follow me all the days of my life. The, 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 kind of the key passage today, if you want to hang on to something, is that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I think, what, what has followed me all the days of my life that interferes, actually, with my following and hearing the Good Shepherd? And it's typically um, lies that follow me all the days of my life of false, uh, falsities of who God is or isn't and lies of who I am. For example, it's easy to be reminded daily of my past sin, my failures, whether it be my uh, ongoing impatience, my um, occasional anger, my occasional jealousy. Things I wish I would have done better with my family, my kiddos. Um, I wish I would have loved my wife better. I uh, wish I would not have made this mistake or that mistake. And those type of thoughts that affect my identity and affect who Christ is and what He came to do um, follow me all the days of my life. And what God wants us to learn this morning and hear this morning, I believe, is that He is the Good Shepherd. He is with us. He is leading. He is speaking but the reason that we don't follow, the reason that we don't hear is because we've got other voices that are following us all the days of our life rather than the goodness and mercy of, the, of God. And I'm just thinking through this uh, cartoon character of Charlie Brown where there's this, wherever he goes, all the days of his life there's this cloud hanging over him. He just can't, he can't shake it. And um, whatever it is for you, there, there is something in your life either on, a, on an occasional basis or or on an ongoing basis that follows you all the day of your life that really interferes with the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. I want to ask you what is that? What is following you all the days of your life? What is your default view of God? What is your default view of yourself? You see, we're going to find increasing peace and joy as we learn to trust the words of God and trust the God of the Word. See, if we're lacking joy, we're lacking peace, it's because we don't, at the end of the day, we might say we believe it, but we're not trusting the words of God, and we're not trusting the God of His Word. Do do you believe that God is who He says He is as it's laid out in Psalm 23? The Lord is our shepherd. He is our sovereign ruler, sovereign protector, sovereign provider. He is with us. He does go before us. We see that in his word. He never slumbers or sleeps. He gives his sheep everything we need for life and godliness. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. He sees us in every condition. He restores us when we are on our backs and we can't move. We're cast like a sheep that can't get up. He restores us whether we're cast and stuck in our own sin or we're cast as a result of the sin of others. He sees us and He restores us in the midst of the worst pain and suffering in our life. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. He's always leading. And as Chris taught a few weeks ago, we need to tune out the other voices and train ourselves to hear His voice. Make no mistake, He is leading. Our job is to follow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Chris taught through verse 4 that He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the Good Shepherd does that. He leads us through dark valleys. He walks with us through dark valleys. And the the key is is that it's through dark valleys. It doesn't say that we go to dark valleys. It doesn't say that we go to the valley of the shadow of death or that we die in the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through the valley of death. For the Lord's sheep The end isn't death, it's life. For the Lord's sheep, the end isn't darkness, it's light. These dark valleys, as we learned last week, are not a mistake. It didn't catch God by surprise. They're not a mistake, but they're also not the end. They are a means to experience the reality of the good shepherd's comfort and nearness. Sheep find refreshing water in rivers, streams, springs, and quiet pools in the dark valleys. As Christians, we will sooner or later find out that it's in the valleys of our lives that we find the maximum refreshment from God Himself. It's not until you have been through some deep valleys that you will know the closeness and refreshment of God. And I can say with some of you that there's been some deep, dark valleys in my life, and I would not want to go back there. But I wouldn't trade them for the world. I wouldn't trade them for the nearness and the comfort of the Lord and the peace of the Lord that I experienced in those valleys. And you know what? Oftentimes, those who have been comforted by God in the depths of their valley are those who can bring the greatest comfort to those who are in the midst of a dark valley. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that. It says that the God of all mercy comforts us. So that what? We might comfort others. I know many of you experienced that. As as I've um, just kind of observed this body the last couple weeks, as there's been deaths, as there's been cancer scares, as there's been miscarriages, as there's been a fear of another failed adoption, I've seen you come along um, other body parts. And typically the ones that come along are the ones that have felt it, that you've been there that you can empathize with it. It's beautiful. The fact is this. Just as water can only flow in a ditch, a valley, or a channel, so in the Christian life, the presence and comfort of God can only flow through the valleys that have been carved and cut into our own lives by trials and suffering. Does it sound like a downer? We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. Trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. And we're talking about the take heart part today. Today we're going to look at verses 5 through 6, the final verses in this poem of confidence. And this is a summation of David's thoughts, knowing all the previous truths about the care of the good shepherd and his sheep. But there's a shift right here in David's writing. He goes from talking about sheep and shepherd to talking about a host and his guests. I'm not sure why he does this. It's possible that the metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep just isn't sufficient to describe the love that God has for his sheep. So he interjects this metaphor of a host and his guests. And a shepherd and a host have some things in common. You see, a shepherd is in absolute control and has absolute responsibility for his sheep. The sheep... Um, A sheep's going to die without a shepherd. A sheep is going to starve without a shepherd. A sheep is going to wander off without a shepherd. The shepherd has um, absolute responsibility for his sheep. And the host takes absolute responsibility for his guests. The heart of, of hospitality is to serve weary travelers. And to fill them up for their continued journey. And my prayer this morning is, as some of you are weary travelers, that you'd be filled up, that you'd be encouraged for the journey ahead. He says, you prepare a table for me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. And the picture here is one of friends dining with the king. It's peaceful. The host, the king, has made a beautiful table while the enemies or all around Satan sin and death it doesn't fluster the host the Lord loves and delights in his sheep and receives them as his guests of honor while his enemies are powerless and have already been defeated here's what Spurgeon says about this he says when a he gives us another picture when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies if he eats at all he snatches a hasty meal and away he goes back into the fight But Spurgeon goes on to say, he says this, but observe, you prepare a table for me. Just as a servant does when she unfolds the tablecloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There's no confusion. There's no disturbance. The enemy's at the door. And yet God prepares a table and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Sheep have enemies. A sheep has enemies. And when I think of a sheep's enemies, I think of a wolf, I think of a bear, I think of a lion. But they really have worse enemies, and those enemies show up in the summertime. And these these, um, are horrid little flies that like to torment the sheep by laying eggs in their nostrils. And these eggs turn to worms and can, at worst case scenario, they can kill the sheep. And at a minimum, they can make the sheep's life miserable. These pesky insects can drive the sheep to beat their head against a rock, sometimes to death. Their ears and their eyes are also susceptible to these tormenting insects. David says, you anoint my head with oil. The shepherd anoints the sheep's head with oil. That oil forms a barrier of protection against the evil that tries to destroy the sheep. It covers its nose and its eyes and its ears so that these bugs can do no damage. And this oil gives the sheep peace, allowing them to rest in contentment without worry about the insects that are still flying around. In a similar way, believers, the sheep of the Lord's pasture... We've been anointed and we've been sealed by the Spirit of God. This anointing by the Spirit of God is a sign that we belong to the Good Shepherd and even our chief tormentors, sin and Satan, have no ultimate power or authority over us. The sins of our past are covered by the blood of Christ and we have the power of God's Spirit to say no to the sin that is crouching at every one of our doors. And when we do sin and Satan tries to accuse us and condemn us, we can grab a hold of the truth that we have been anointed and sealed by the Spirit of God and there is nothing and no one that can snatch us out of the good shepherd's hand. Nothing and no one. You see, when a sheep is anointed with oil, the insects that can cause so much harm, they've not gone away. They're still there. They're still flying around threatening to infect the sheep's eyes, his nose and his eyes, but they but they can't penetrate the oil. Sometimes the sheep need to take a, you're going to uh, you're gonna have to forgive me for this because it's in my notes. Um, sometimes the sheep are going to have to take a deep breath and be reminded that they're in the hands, that's a dad joke I've been told, um, and be reminded that they're in the hands of a good shepherd and they've been anointed with his protective oil. Evil, Satan and sin is all around us. But none of that for the believer who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that that sin and Satan have been defeated. Yes, he can lie to you. Yes, we can give in to sin, but they have no authority over us. How is sin and Satan tormenting you today? (coughs) It's usually lies. Do worrisome thoughts invade your mind over and over again? Do you beat your head against the wall trying to stop them? I want to remind you this morning that you are forever sealed as a sheep of the Good Shepherd's pasture, and you have no enemies. They can do you eternal harm. We do have enemies. It's Satan. And it's the sin that is crouching at our door. But they can't harm us. The protective oil of salvation makes it possible to fix your heart, mind, and eyes on Him today and always. It provides peace in the valley. I was talking to my wife about this, and she had this picture that I thought was really good. Um, there's, There's times... where we have a hard time believing, living out. In the midst of trials especially, in the midst of miscarriage, in the midst of, of dying loved ones, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of, of strife in marriage, um, we have a hard time at times believing that God is with us, that God is good. And she said, she said Danny, I, I, I picture the good shepherd grabbing me his sheep by the cheeks and just pointing my head to his face and saying I want to remind you that you've been sealed you're forever loved you're forever cared for I'll be forever with you I will lead you through the dark valleys I will restore you when you need restoring anointing oil it also signifies gladness we're reminded this in isaiah excuse me 61 1 through 3 and this is speaking of the anointed one the lord jesus christ or this is the anointed one the lord jesus christ speaking the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To pro- proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He has already shown maximum favor on you. In the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness or joy instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. You see, the oil, the anointing of the oil the, that, that, um, that this metaphorically is talking about is that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been forever saved. And that should promote a, a maximum and a genuine joy in the Lord. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 9.8. He says, let your garments be always white. He's saying be reminded that you're you've been washed as clean as snow. You've been clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. And he goes on to say, let not oil be lacking on your head. What he's saying there is that you have been clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. He took all your sin, he gave you all his righteousness. Be joyful. Be joyful. No matter what the circumstances are, we can find joy in Christ. And then David says, My cup overflows. It's a symbol of abundance. At the feast, a host would not just fill the cup to the brim. The host would, would, over, would overflow it. It would be pouring out on the table. I tried that last night. It did not go well with my wife. It's a way of saying, drink up. There's more where this came from. For there's an endless supply of joy and peace and comfort. You see, David is overwhelmed here at the end of this, of writing this Psalm 23 with the, rec- with the recollection of all he's been given and experienced from the good shepherd. He, he had not only enough, a full cup of blessing, but more than enough, a cup which overflowed. And I don't know where I stole this quote from, but it says this. It's a, a poor man may say this as well as those in their higher circumstances. Here it is. A poor cottager says, said as she broke a piece of bread and filled a glass of cold water. What, all this and Jesus Christ too? All of this, a piece of bread and cold water. I get all of this and Jesus Christ too? Whereas a man who may ever be wealthy, but he is discontented, his cup cannot run over, is, a, has a, uh, is cracked and he leaks. If you're lacking joy, you can trace it back to a lack of joy. You can, uh, lack of contentment. I'm going to say that again. If you're lacking joy at any point, it's because you're lacking contentment. And if you're lacking contentment, it's because that you have needs, perceived needs, that have yet to be filled. That you're not drinking deep of your Savior, savior and being satisfied in Him and only Him. If you're lacking joy, you can trace it back to a lack of contentment. And I don't want to excuse, um, you know, in our own family, we've got a trial going right now. And um, my job is not to tell this family that's grieving to be joyful. (laughs) I would never do that. That's not how we shepherd one another. It's to grieve when others grieve. But it's when we um, understand the gospel that we've been sealed, we've been anointed, that our cup overflows, we've been given grace upon grace, and those trials come. It's going to be so much easier to be joyful in those trials, not in a manufactured kind of way, but in an in a, uh, authentic kind of way. Jesus said this in John 10.10, the great chapter in the New Testament that talks about the shepherd and his sheep. He talks about the, He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy it's Satan it's a sin that's crouching at our door but Jesus says I came that they may have life and have it abundantly that Jesus came to give us new life so that we never have to pay the penalty for our sin but oftentimes in this broken world that we live in we live a a life that is void of joy because we're discontent in what God has given us and the reality is, is that the only thing that you and I deserve is hell. And everything else is a pretty good day. That's the truth. And the good news on top of that is, is He gives blessings upon blessings. That He gives us more than a piece of bread and a cold cup of water. He gives us more than um, a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than that. But He keeps piling on the blessings. Stephen Charnock, a Puritan writer, said this, nothing less than Christ can satisfy, and when you find Him, nothing more could be desired. You see, once we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we will joyfully praise Him more and more. I love this Psalm 116, 12 through 13. It says, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? What should I, what should I give back to Him? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What he's saying there is, Lord... Uh, I praise you for saving me. I want to submit my life to you. And as David reflects upon the character of the Good Shepherd and how he protects and leads and comforts and is always present, he exclaims this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you've got to ask the question, who's surely? No, surely... Surely is, um, is the word for assurance. David has unwavering assurance as he writes this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He has unwavering confidence in this statement or assurance of God being with him. But I, you look at David's writing and he, he wavered. I waver. I have times of doubt. Not times of unbelief, but times of doubt. Do you hear me? Will you lead me? Will you restore me? Will you bring comfort? And he reminds us that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life when david testifies that goodness will follow him he isn't ignoring the realities of a broken world and subscribing to a positive thinking techniques he's not putting his head in the sand he's acknowledging that god is good in his character and god is flawlessly good in all of his actions he's acknowledging that acknowledging that god is good in his character and he is flawless in his good actions Therefore, he can only do good to his sheep. David also states that mercy follows him. This is the unconditional and steadfast love of the good shepherd towards those the Father gave him. He loves even when we're faithless. He loves us even when we're cast and can't move. He loves us when we're fearful. He loves us when we're wayward. He is forever faithful to His sheep, regardless of our faithfulness, or faithlessness, excuse me. He is faithful to His sheep, regardless of our faithlessness. And just so you're not confused, because I've had this confused before, is that the proof that we're His sheep is that we want to follow Him. The proof that we're His sheep is that there is a direction to our following Him but we're going to stumble. Anybody else stumble in here? We're going to stumble. We're going to stumble on our own sin. We're going to be cast because of other people's sin. We're going to be cast because of pain and suffering that this world brings. But even when we're not believing in the moment, He is faithful. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. To follow means to actively pursue. David had enemies who pursued him. His son Absalom tried to kill him. Pursued him to kill him. Um, Saul tried to kill him. He was caught in condemnation. Satan wanted to destroy him. Satan wanted him condemned and depressed and wayward. But here we see that it's the grace of God that continues to pursue us. Our enemies aren't our consummate pursuers. Goodness and mercy are. Goodness, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This pursuit will continue all the days of David's life. This pursuit will continue all the days of your life. And you don't need to do anything. But he's going to be pursuing you. Some of us have the trials of pain and suffering. Some of us have the trials of fear or accusations of the enemy that have been following you all the days of your life. Yes, the Lord is with you. Yes, He is always leading. Yes, at times you might wander. Yes, at times you might doubt. At times you might be cast on your back and not be able to get up. But the goodness and mercy of God will follow you all the days of your life like sheepdogs at the back of a flock... Nipping at your heels I was a hunting ranch this past weekend and I was we were we were in there um, they, they let the elk out of the pen and then said shoot no they didn't but we were we were in this tent and they were telling us where to hunt and they, it's a it was a sheep ranch I thought it was elk but no it was a it was a sheep ranch that we hunted at and we went in this tent and they and they told us where to hunt what mountain to go on and we went out to the car and I'm and I'm walking along and there's this dog is nipping at my foot. He's he's herding me to my dog, up to my car. He was a sheepdog, nipping at my heels and guiding me off their property. And if he really knew me, he would actually be guiding me to the elk because he knew that I would miss five times. I was no threat to the elk, to the dog, to the hunters, to the economy, or anything up there. But goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life are like sheepdogs at the back of the flock nipping at your heels. You see, when we go astray with our thoughts, with our actions, when at times we can't move forward, goodness and mercy pull up the rear, and they're always nipping at our feet, spurring us on all the days of our life. Psalm 139 said this, You hem me in from behind, Before, and you lay your hand upon me. And the picture that I've got is that the the Lord is always with us. He's always leading. He's always speaking. And at times, because of our sin, because of the sin of other people, because of the brokenness in this world, we go cast. We wander. We start believing lies about who God is. We start believing lies about who we are. And God reminds us, surely, goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. That, that this, this shepherd that's leading, that's speaking, that's with you, he's good. He has good character. He gives good gifts. He's merciful. He can do no wrong. You know what? It's easy to think and feel this way. Some of you might be here this morning, and I praise God for this. Actually, you go, man, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Life is good. Praise be to God. What I've got to tell you, call it a downer if you want. Every Tuesday morning, I spend, um, I spend at cemeteries. That's what I do. Oh, wow, man, you're, you're excited, exciting. You go miss Elk in the Mountains and hang out at cemeteries in the daytime. But I go there because I I want to grab a hold of the brevity of life. I want to grab a hold of it. Not in a downer kind of way, but I want to live and be reminded every day that goodness and kindness of the Lord is following me all the days of my life. And I want to live it to its fullest. And I want to face death when it comes um, head on. So it's easy to feel this way when everything is great, but I go to the cemetery because I want to be reminded that there's an end to my life, and even though my life might be great now, the, um, the uh, dark shadow of death is coming my way at some point. It's easy to think and feel this way when everything is great, but what about when the bank account is low? What about when there is turmoil in your marriage? When there's deception in your marriage? When there is a fear in life? When your kids have wandered away? When the cancer is back? When your dad has died? When there's been a miscarriage? When there's a fear of another failed adoption? Where there's a question: Will I ever need to? Ha- will, I, will I ever um, be able to have kids again? But goodness and mercy is following you all the days of your life to be a reminder that there's a good God who's leading, who gives good gifts. They may not always feel good, but they're perfect gifts for you in a particular season of life. A couple questions I had for myself, and I'll ask these for you as well. Do I leave a a trail of sadness or gladness behind? Do I leave behind peace in lives or turmoil? Do I leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? Do I leave behind contentment or conflict? Do I leave behind flowers of joy or frustration? Do I leave behind love or strife? And then he finishes up this beautiful Psalm. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord here is a journey's end. It's a future-oriented reality. But as importantly, it's the beginning of eternal glory. Anything and everything good in the present journey is a foretaste of the overflowing abundance awaiting us in the new earth, in the new heaven. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There's no qualifier on that. You know, today we get to celebrate communion. And every opportunity I get to be a part of it, I think I say the same thing. I can't think of a better Sunday to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ commanded us as Christians to Observe, celebrate, remember His death and resurrection through the elements or the ordinance, if you will, of communion. You see, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst. In our midst and in your life, in your midst when you're by yourself. It's a celebration of the presence of God in our midst. It reminds us of our communion with God and with one another. It's a reminder that He is our ultimate and final sustenance and nourishment for our souls. It also looks forward to the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in His Father's kingdom. In the garden, our first parents were tempted by the serpent. And the serpent said, take and eat taste and eat. They did and that act brought about God's curse on all of humanity. All were separated from the love of God. All were separated from the presence of our Creator. And the Lord's Supper is a celebration of God's presence. It's at the Lord's table that He says, take a seat, taste and eat. He reversed the words of the serpent in the garden. Derek Kinder says this, It required the sending of the Son of God into this world and His dying on the cross before take and eat became verbs of salvation. And you know what? Instead of goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life, it really should be Wrath and the curse of God. You see, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That when we partake of the elements, that reminder should be at the forefront of our eyes is that we deserve hell, and we're not going to get it. We deserve God's wrath, and we're not going to get it. The cup of cursing was for His creatures who had sinned against Him. Jesus had a choice. He had a choice to drink of the cup of blessing and leave us to drink the cup of wrath where we would be forever separated from our Creator. But Jesus, because He loved us, He created us for a relationship. And somebody had to pay the price. So Jesus drank the cup of wrath that we deserve to drink. And He left for us the cup of blessing that would go go on all the days of our life and into eternity. At the same time as we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, it's anticipation of the glory to come. You see, at the last supper, He washed the disciples' feet and He served them as a host, the wine and the bread. And in the same way, He will invite us, and He has invited us to one day come and recline at His table, and He will serve us. He will serve us forever. And at the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the eternal wedding supper where the Lord serves us with everything we need. He talks about this in Luke 12. He says, blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, for serve us and have them, us, recline at His table. We did nothing to get there. And He's saying, come in, sit at my table, let me serve you. It says at the end, He will come and serve them. So we get to participate in this glorious feast. And I want to encourage you to come up, take the juice and take the bread, and go back to your seats. And just just process whatever the Lord has for you here this morning. Just process the beautiful statement that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And how is God wanting to encourage you this morning with that? And maybe if you're here with somebody else, um, take the elements together as husbands, wives, or if you're not here with a spouse, maybe um, sit with somebody else and just pray together then take the elements together. So um, come up and grab the elements, take them back to your seat, uh, pray and partake on your own, and then we'll um, sing some final songs to our Good Shepherd, okay?